Welcome to the Father Jim Willig Gospel Teachings Podcast, presented by Heart to Heart, a Catholic media ministry. Father Jim was a well-known and much-loved diocesan priest from Cincinnati, Ohio. Inspired by God's Word, for many years, Father Jim presented a weekly Bible study on the Sunday Gospels. In 2001, Father Jim went home to the Lord after a battle with cancer, but his recordings and teachings live on to inspire thousands. First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. While some people were speaking about how the temple was adorned with costly stones and votive offerings, Jesus said, All that you see here, the day will come when there will not be left a stone upon another stone that will not be thrown down. Then they asked him, Teacher, when will this happen? And what sign will there be when all these things are about to happen? He answered, See that you not be deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time has come. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified. For such things must happen first, but it will not immediately be the end. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be powerful earthquakes, famines, and plagues from place to place. And awesome sights and mighty signs will come from the sky. Before all this happens, however, they will seize and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and to prisons and they will have you led before kings and governors because of my name. It will lead to your giving testimony. Remember, you are not to prepare your defense beforehand, for I myself shall give you a wisdom in speaking that all of your adversaries will be powerless to resist or refute. You will even be handed over by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. And they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But not a hair on your head will be destroyed. By your perseverance, you will secure your lives. The Gospel of the Lord. If we went for an annual spiritual checkup, what condition would our soul be in? Imagine if someone who was the real doctor of the soul, someone with great spiritual insight, were to examine 
our lives. Look deeply inside ourselves and what's going on in our families, in our job, in our work, in our relationships. What would they discover? What kind of condition is our soul in? Ask yourselves that question today as we look at the gospel, for Jesus has that kind of very great insight, that, if you will, x-ray vision, examining deep inside the soul of Israel, and find some real disturbing things that he, I think, in a manner of speaking, says could be fatal. If we're to look at this gospel that speaks of the end of time, as we come to this end of the liturgical year, we consider some very serious concerns that Jesus has about his people back then that could well apply for us here today. In fact, I could just divide our gospel into three segments or sections. First, has the prediction of the destruction of the temple. Secondly, some of the classic apocalyptic signs. And finally, the warning about the times of persecution that lie ahead. Take a look at each of those segments as we look at this gospel as a way, again, of looking at our own lives. First, remember the setting of the gospel. Jesus is standing there in the temple precinct or temple area, and there were people who were speaking about how the beautiful temple is adorned with precious stones and votive offerings. A little bit of background on the temple of Jerusalem. First, you might know it was built on a large hill that is referred to throughout the scriptures as Mount Zion. That is the mountain of the Lord. Jerusalem was naturally built on this hillside. That's why it became a natural fortress, why King David selected it as the capital city of this kingdom of Israel. And they built this house of God. You know, they really believed that that's what the temple was. It was the sure sign of God's presence. It would be like any of our churches or even more, this cathedral. In fact, you might be interested in knowing this cathedral built more than 150 years ago in the year 1845 was originally imagined by Archbishop Purcell when he wanted to build a great monumental temple for God that would represent our Catholic faith. And so he chose some grand dimensions and designs, most especially the Greek architecture that was an imitation of the federal buildings that were a sign of real authority. It's like the Catholics of this town were coming to their own. He wanted to make a statement. And so that's why This cathedral, again, originally built 1845, more than 150 years ago, is so stately, making a statement to the glory of God. We may not like the kind of architecture of Greek design, but you understand it does make one think of the grandeur and glory of God. That is exactly what prompted the thinking of the building of the temple in Israel, in Jerusalem. They wanted to build a huge structure that would just inspire people's thoughts to think of God. And they adorned this temple with this votive offering that I learned this week in researching was a gold vine. A vine, you know, is the symbol of Israel. 
that was embossed over the main door of the temple. And you heard in the first line, they had these precious stones. In fact, they were massive stones. You can think of this cathedral. It has large stones. And these stones were just reflected the light in a glorious way. Let me read to you a description as written by a Jewish historian of the first century by the name of Josephus. He writes, Now the outward face of the temple in its front was covered all over with massive plates of gold. And at the rising of the sun, it reflected back a fiery splendor that made those who forced themselves to look upon it to turn their eyes away just as they would have done to look directly at the sun's own rays. But this temple appeared to strangers when they were at a distance like a mountain covered with stone, for it, as to those parts that were not gilt with gold, they were exceedingly white. Of its stones, some of them were 45 cubits in length, 5 in height, and 6 in breadth. Now, I'm wondering, too, what's a cubit? I don't know. I didn't have time to research that. But you can see in Jerusalem today, some of the foundational stones that are still in place. And they're massive. So you could just imagine this beautiful temple. And Jesus, of course, appreciating all that was built to the glory of God. But then consider these words, his commentary on this temple. Jesus said, these things you are contemplating, the day will come when not one stone will be left on another, but it will all be torn down. Can you imagine the shock of his words, how they would hear that? They say, no way. Can you imagine if someone said that about this cathedral? I mean, it would drive the pastor crazy. He can't hardly imagine it. Because this temple was built to last a lifetime. Let me tell you exactly. Was the temple, although originally was built by David's son Solomon, remember King Solomon, but was later reconstructed under Herod the Great in the year 20 BC and was not completed till 65 AD. Imagine all these years, 85 years. But On its completion in year 65 AD, five years later, it was completely destroyed, which is exactly 40 years after Jesus' prediction. It was destroyed by the Roman soldiers led by Titus. They completely leveled the entire temple. To, in fact, as Jesus predicted, not a stone was standing on a stone. This was devastating to the people of God. It was the ultimate destruction. If I can say it, it was the heart attack. They attacked the very heart, the home of who they were and where they believed God lived. It would be hard to overemphasize what a terrible destruction this was to their faith more than anything. Keep in mind now, Luke is writing this gospel years after, in fact, 15 years after the destruction of the temple, about 85 AD. So he has the advantage of this retrospective view to 
trying to interpret it and understand it because many of the Jewish people, including the Messianic Jews, that is the, the new Christian disciples, thought the end of the temple was the beginning of the end of the world. So, they recall Jesus' words, which leads to the second part of this gospel. He said, take care not to be misled. Many will come in my name saying, I am here. The time is at hand. Do not follow them. Jesus says, neither must you be perturbed when you hear of wars or insurrections. These things are bound to happen, but the end does not follow immediately. The early Christians and Jewish people expected the end sometime soon. When Jesus died, they thought that was the end. He would come back as he promised. And if somebody says they're going to come back, you figure sooner rather than later. But gradually they learned that the Lord has returned in a new way, in a spiritual way, in the reconstruction of a new temple that they knew to be the church that is more of spiritual than a physical structure, community. And we can never forget that. Jesus said, nations will rise against nations and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, plagues, and famines in various places. Gosh, I can't help but think of the hurricane and the way it devastated some of the Central American nations. I was reading a report in the paper of thousands of people whose lives were taken, hundreds of thousands left homeless. And that this is the kind of devastation that the Israelites experienced. And not only the Israelites, but the Christians experienced as they experienced another kind of devastation, namely persecution. Jesus mentioning them are like classic apocalyptic signs, okay? Earthquakes, plagues, famines. He said, all these things are going to happen. So it's just a part of life. And this does not mean the end is coming. But he goes on then to the, this third segment of the gospel. Before any of this, people will manhandle and persecute you. They will summon you to synagogues and prisons, bringing you to trial before kings and governors, all because of my name. In fact, this was happening in Luke's community. I mean, he's just reflecting on the news of his day, that they were being forced because at this time, Judaism was under crisis and they had to redefine who was a Jew. And in this redefinition, it came to a more restriction of who was faithful and anyone who believed that the Messiah had already come, they were anathema sit, that is, they were expelled, excommunicated sent away from the community. And so you had this these families being torn apart and brought before kings and governors, as was the case in the Roman Empire. Remember, Rome destroyed Jerusalem. And we know the history of these many Christians who suffered a martyr's death. Now, you know what the word martyr means? In Greek, it means witness. So this is Luke's next line that is quoting Jesus. He says, you will be brought to give witness on account of this. Jesus, particularly in Luke's gospel, always emphasizes the importance of giving witness, mostly by what we do and who we are. And yes, by words as well. 
I'm reminded of a nice story from Francis of Assisi, who invited some of the brothers to go with him to walk through the towns of Assisi to preach the gospel. And they just walked and greeted people and prayed for some in need and listened to others and consoled a few. And by the end of the day, they never really stopped to preach. And one of the brothers commented, I thought we came to preach. And he said, we did. He said, always remember, we must proclaim the gospel and if necessary, use words. But there it is. That's how we give witness. And many times we give the strongest witness, as you well know, under the hardest times, when we're under the most difficult stress. That's why I think it was such a powerful witness last week for us to listen to Allie speak of her her quiet peace in her acceptance of her cancer and the strength that she's drawing from the saints, both above and below the prayers and love of her family and community, that's a witness and powerful. And that's the kind of witness we need to give for each other and what the Lord asks of us. This is what builds church. Occasionally, I'll, I'll say this in, in church uh, when, when people come together, is that this church would be nothing but a museum if it weren't for you. I mean, you are the church and you're the most beautiful part of the church. And we can never forget that. We are what makes up the vigil lights, as it were, that give God glory. Then Jesus predicts this hardship. He says, you will be delivered up by your parents, brothers, relatives, friends, and some of you will even be put to death. Again, this is what was happening when some proclaimed Jesus as Messiah and others said, no, he isn't. And, and some were turning against each other, even in the family. We'd see that going on in our families. Things separate us and there's arguments that pull us apart and we suffer through that family feuds all the time. And those are times we can give witness more by who we are, having a forgiving, loving heart, and yet staying true to ourselves and true to our faith. Jesus says, all will hate you because of me. Some will even put you to death, but not a hair of your head will be harmed. I want to say, did you get that? You'll be put to death, but don't worry about your hair. Somehow that's not very consoling. He's promising that we won't have a bad hair day. What is this? My understanding of what Luke's sharing with us is that no eternal harm will come to us. We will be safe from the evil one if we remain faithful to God. That does not mean we won't have all kinds of problems. I can think so many times of praying for people, as I did with my own sister when she asked me, why, why is this happening to me? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. But you surely ought to ask God that. She says, but God surely wouldn't take me from my family. I'm thinking to myself, maybe God won't, but the cancer might. Because I know that. I mean, we know that. That's the real test of faith, that somehow we believe it's all going to be good, even though it may feel and seem to end so bad, it will all work out for the good. And so this last line is the real, if you will, punchline, the real culmination of this prediction of persecution and destruction Jesus says, by patient endurance, 
you will save your lives. So there it is, you know. It won't be ultimately fatal, but it will lead to eternal life. That's so consoling. In fact, I just came just an hour ago from celebrating the funeral of Mary Jean's mother who died. Many of you, of course, know Mary Jean and her mother would come to the cathedral here to pray and to church. I remember the time I was preaching a mission and Mary Jean brought her mother. And you need to notice as, as she was aging, she became hard of hearing, but she wasn't always aware how loud she was speaking, you know, how that goes. But she was a woman who felt very free to speak her mind. In any case, you understand a mission, you preach a little longer than the homily. But at one point, she turns to Mary Jean and says, why doesn't he just sit down and shut up? I was truly speechless at that point. Not only did I hear it, but I knew half of the, those who sat in the front heard it as well. And thinking, well, maybe God's speaking through her. So at least in her honor, I preached a very brief eulogy this morning. That was precious. So what does all of this mean? Gosh, this I struggled with this. Because I don't believe we're in the end of times. Of course, we never know. But we're not even to worry about that if I read the gospel right. What we do need to be concerned about is that what Jesus was real concerned about. And it was so symbolized in the temple. The temple was the symbol of Israel who they were, their faith in God and God's presence with them. And repeatedly, the prophets came to them and preached a complete renewal of the temple, but they could not hear it. And that was more interior than exterior, okay? It was more a complete conversion of their mind and heart, but they could not hear it. And they found Jesus own prophecy to be such a bad prophecy they just you know how it is you kill the messenger when you don't like the message and that very city condemned him and crucified him how could this be but we have to take a hard look if the lord came here today to speak to our church and whose church you know it's us what would he say Certainly, he would speak to our spiritual health and, yes, sickness. The Lord loves us and wants us to be healthy, happy, holy. For this to happen, we have to give as much attention to our soul as we do to our body. Wow, that's saying something, isn't it? Because we need to take care of our body. We know all that that means, having the proper rest, having exercise, healthy diet. Well, how does that translate spiritually? We need the Sabbath rest for the soul to take time away from our usual work week to reflect on what's going on in my life. Where is the Lord? That's the purpose of the Sabbath. And you know, many people no longer keep or observe the Sabbath. If you will, they're not going to the temple. They're going to the mall. And that has replaced, in many people's lives, the new golden calf temple. I mean, I'm not against malls. I'm just saying we have to keep the Sabbath, keep vigilant 
our relationship with the Lord. Of course, here I am talking to people who come here for soul food. I honestly believe the greatest sign of failing spiritual health is people lose their spiritual appetite. You know that's a sign of, of sickness. When you lose your appetite, you have an appetite of hunger for God's Word. I love that. The Lord must love that. And He wants to feed you with the best soul food, which I believe is the gospel message, so that you, you could truly be stronger spiritually and relationally. But of course, this isn't enough. You know, we have to keep a daily prayer habit. This is where we need to do spiritual exercises where we are, you know, we strengthen ourselves, take that time to pray every day. And we look for those ways where we find inspiration. We look for those times where we give priority where to our family, to those primary relationships, because truly that's where God works in our lives. I find, and someone asked me once, what is the most difficult thing about being a priest? I'll tell you. It's taking good care of myself, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, when the work of the ministry is so demanding of time and energy and attention. The demands are so great, it takes tremendous discipline to set that time for prayer every day, to, to set the time for study of the gospel, to set the time to be with my friends, and to set the time to take that walk. You know that. I'm just, I'm, I'm sure I'm speaking of your intentional struggle to take care of yourselves too. Let's keep working at it. Because we are the temple of the Lord. We are the temple of the Lord. And the Lord loves a temple that's truly dedicated and devoted. Do we reverence this temple? Yes, interiorly and outwardly. That is, emotionally and physically. I, I learned this now that I've been pastored. My gosh, when you have buildings especially if there's any age to them, you know, there's a lot of use in them or from them. It takes constant maintenance work. And so it's so symbolic of maybe the time and attention, constant maintenance we need to give to our lives, to our families, to our relationships, most especially to our soul, to our soul. Because what Jesus was speaking to is that the soul of the temple, the Israel was losing the Holy of Holies. You understand? That's the beauty of the temple. The Holy of Holies was the soul of the temple where God lived. That Holy of Holies is within each of us. But where do we go to find sanctuary? You know what I mean by that? Where do we go to find a place of serenity? Where, where do we find quiet to think, to read? to rest, to reflect, to pray. There's our temple, our sanctuary of the Lord, where we need to maintain, sustain in every good way. Amen. Thank you for listening to Father Jim's Gospel Teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son, Jesus, to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, www.htoh.us.
May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.